And I'm excited to be able to bring the Word of God this morning, and I want to just take one week. Uh, I have like a free week here, so I want to share something that's been on my heart for a long time, and I want to talk about discipleship. And hopefully I want to simplify discipleship from God's Word. We'll see what it is. It's a word we throw around all the time in the church, discipleship or disciple. What does that mean? Well, we're going to look at the Word of God, and hopefully it'll become even clearer. And what I really hope to do is to to inspire you from God's word, to engage in this adventure of discipleship. So as we see what it is, I'm hopeful that you'll say, I want to do that. I want to be a part of that. Here's a phrase that I I take from this text and other scriptures about discipleship, but also just from my life experience of being a disciple and being discipled by people and then discipling others. And it goes like this. Discipleship is simpler than we think. It's messier than than we expect, and it's far more glorious than we can imagine. Simpler than we think, messier than we expect, and far more glorious than we could really ever imagine. I wonder how many of you can remember the legends of the Knights Templar. So maybe you're a history buff, or maybe you just watched Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, okay? But you remember that there was this real group of soldiers, highly trained, skilled soldiers and from about 1100 to 1300 AD. They were called the Knights Templar. Their main job was to protect all of, the, uh, all of those coming into Jerusalem during the Crusades, so to give them safe passageway, to protect them from enemies. Uh, eventually, they did more banking, actually. They were financial wizards, and they, it led to some of the early crude forms of, bake, of, of, not baking, but banking in the uh, Middle Ages in Europe. So this was a real group of, of, of soldiers, but there was a lot of secrecy around this group. A lot of rumors were shared and legends were started. Most notably, the one in which Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade was based on was that they held the Holy Grail. Okay, this, this chalice that Jesus drank out of supposedly at the Last Supper that they held in their possession, that they protected, they guarded, and then they passed it from generation to generation because it had this incredible power that if you would drink from the chalice, you would live forever. So you've heard that legend probably many of you before. Well, I remember being a boy and watching Indy go about the the search for the Holy Grail, and I'm on the edge of my seat, you know, I'm thinking, man, is this real history? Is the grail somewhere? Can I find it? In fact, this is not a lie. For a couple years during my teenage teenage years, I wanted to be an archaeologist because I thought it would be as glorious and glamorous as Indy, you know? But I sat there. Man, I wish I could get involved in some kind of adventure like that. Well, I'm I'm here this morning to tell you that uh, you and I are called into an adventure that is actually more exciting and glorious than that. It's hard to believe, And it's real. And, and, it, and it's, it's based on something that has been given to us. You can call it a holy grail if you want to. But it's not a memento that Jesus drank from. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that gospel has been given to the church. It is to be protected by the church. It is to be passed on by the church to others. And so you and I are very much called into this grand adventure. And we have something Within our, within our possession that is glorious. And I hope that you'll see that in the text this morning. While Steven Spielberg and George Lucas took a lot of liberties with history, with their movie, this is real stuff. 
So I want you to see it from the scriptures. I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And in 2 Timothy 2, we're going to see this legacy, this very important treasure. So 2 Timothy is towards the end of your New Testament. You've got to go quite a ways in the New Testament, past 1 and 2 Thessalonians, into 1 and 2 Timothy. So find 2 Timothy with me. And then find chapter 2. And we'll read the first couple of verses in a moment. But my question for you is going to be, will you engage in this adventure of discipleship? Or will you decide to sit on the sidelines and say, that's not really for me? Here's the thing. We often expect the pastors and the elders to be the Knights Templar for us. Oh, those highly trained people, they will pass on the gospel. They will disciple others. But I want to encourage you and show you from God's word that God never meant it to be that way. He wants us as pastors and elders and leaders to pass it on to others who will pass it on to others who will pass it on to others. That's the point this morning. So look with me, 2 Timothy 2. And just before we read, I'm also thinking of a group in, in here maybe. Maybe you've been coming to Bethel for a little bit and you're, you're not sure where you fit. You're like, I, I don't know what my place is. I don't know where I fit into Bethel. I don't, I don't know if I can sing or work with the children or what can I do? And I want to let you know that this task that we're being called to in 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, is applicable to every single believer. And I, it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for a week or for several decades, you are being called into this great adventure. And I hope you'll see it that way. So let's read 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 3. And here's what God's word says. Paul is writing a letter to Timothy. And in 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 3, we read this. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now, it's tempting to keep going because there's a bunch of analogies here that are really, really, really cool. But we're just going to stop there for today and just look at verses 1 through 3. And what I want to do is I want to give you some basics about discipleship. What is it? And then I want to end with some very practical suggestions, like how do you get involved in the process of discipleship? I don't want it to remain theory. Hopefully it'll become practical. Now, Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. Timothy is pastoring the church in Ephesus. He is the pastor there. And Paul spent more time in Ephesus than any other city. I don't know if you knew that. Up to three years he spent in Ephesus. And because of that, a church was formed. In fact, probably a couple house churches that then became a beachhead for other churches being established because of Ephesus' strategic location. And so this is an important uh, letter that Paul is writing to Timothy. It's right before he is um, killed. It's right before his martyrdom. And Paul knows he's going to die. So Paul writes these words to Timothy. They're very tender words. They're very intimate words. It's the kind of words you'd give to somebody as your parting words. Something about looking at the end of your life that causes you to think about the legacy that you're leaving. And so Paul is writing to Timothy saying, all the things that I have done, Timothy, what my life has been all about, will you carry the torch for me? Will you carry the baton for me? And so it's really this transition from the apostolic age to the sub-apostolic age. So when the apostles were alive to no longer are there any apostles alive. And the church continues to go forth. So this is what's happening right here. And Paul is saying to Timothy, I want you to preserve the gospel. I want you to be involved in this bold preservation 
and proclamation of what the gospel is all about. Now, this process in 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, I would suggest, is essential for the health and the growth of the church. And not just when Timothy was pastor so long ago and when he opened this scroll in AD 65, in about the year 65. It is just as important today. If we hope for the church to grow, if we hope for the church to be healthy, we must be about this business of discipleship. We have to follow the basic principles of discipleship. So let's look at it and let's dig into it. So first, you'll see in verse 1 that we need to be strengthened by grace. How does discipleship happen? It doesn't happen by accident. Disciples aren't formed accidentally. They don't just pop up. How are they formed? Well, first, if we're going to disciple somebody, we need to be strengthened by grace. Grace. Timothy is being called to make disciples. And Paul says, first things first, Timothy, you have to be strengthened by grace. A daily empowerment. If you look at the first two words here of, our, of this chapter, what does it say? You then. I just want to remind you that every word is important in Scripture. When it says, you then, Timothy, what is he referring to? It could also say, therefore. Therefore, Timothy... Well, why is he saying that? You have to look back at chapter 1. You have to look at all the instructions that Paul is giving Timothy. And he's saying, everything I've told you, Timothy, everything you're to be about, you must have, my gra- you must have God's grace. Trust me, Timothy, you must be daily empowered by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So you can just kind of glance through chapter 1 if you have your Bible open there. Chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame the gift that God gave you. Chapter 1, verse 8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord and share in suffering for the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 13. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. Chapter 1, verse 14. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Then you come into our passage this morning. Chapter 2, verse 2. Entrust what you have heard from me to faithful men. In chapter 2, verse 3. Share in suffering. So we've got to get first things first. If we're going to be a a church that's about discipleship and you are going to be a Christian that says, yeah, you know what? I will engage in this adventure of discipleship. We have to have the grace of God. You cannot just dig deep and say, what do I have to give somebody? Well, I'm kind of smart. I'm kind of funny. Maybe I... No, it's the grace of Jesus Christ. And Paul says, Timothy, I want you to be about discipleship. And you're going to need the grace of God. This theme of grace is throughout the text. You can see it in chapter 1. The words used in verse 2, in verse 3, in in a number of the verses. Grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. It's the favor that we receive from God, God's favor, that we don't deserve. We don't deserve it. God blesses us. He graces us. He saves us. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He redeems us. All of the beautiful truths we've been studying in the book of Romans, God gives those to us, those to us, and they're undeserved. That's grace. God gifting us all of these things. God gifting us the gospel. God giving us salvation. And then in this verse this morning, Timothy is being instructed, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened. And Paul doesn't say to Timothy, you were strengthened, Timothy, by God at the point of salvation. It's an active Verb, he's saying, be strengthened continuously. It's actually a command, an imperative. Timothy, be strengthened. Today, be strengthened. Tomorrow, be strengthened by the grace of God. The next day, be 
strengthened because if you're going to walk this walk and you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're going to need the grace of God. And if you're going to pass that on to somebody else and disciple somebody, you're going to need the grace of God. You can't just look within yourself. Now, Paul is writing to a group of people who are bombarded with a couple of religions and, and uh, ideas of the day. Things like Gnosticism and Stoicism. Things that taught that you look within. You look within yourself in the inner person of who you are for strength, for salvation, for meaning. And so Paul is com- combating these, these truths. And he's saying, don't look within. Be strengthened by the grace that is only in Jesus Christ, only to be found in him. Ephesians 6.10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Chapter 1, verse 13 of, of, of this book here, faith and love are in Jesus. You see that? So God graces us with faith. He gives us love in Jesus Christ. And so we don't look within, we look outside of ourselves to Jesus Christ, in whom dwells all the fullness of of the Godhead we read in Scripture. So what we're going to be challenged to do in this sermon, it's all possible only because of the grace of God. So that's good news, right? Because some of you are sitting there going, this is great, Pastor Mark, but I don't think I'm in the place to disciple anyone else. Well, it comes from Christ. It's, we're strengthened by the grace in Jesus Christ. And I want to remind you that there is endless grace in Jesus Christ. When does Jesus Christ's grace run out? At what point do we get the end of the well? At what point do we we mine the entire quarry of Jesus Christ's grace? It's endless. It keeps going on and on forever and ever. I was on vacation and I heard my mom say something she said so many times when I was growing up. Sarcastically, she said, oh yeah, let me just go over to the money tree that I have in the yard and let me just take money from it to give to you. She said this to my dad, actually. Anyone's parents or grandparents ever said, hey, I got a money tree out back. What do you, what do you think? I... So the idea is, yeah, I just got endless funds. When we think about Jesus Christ, he is an eternal well. He has grace forever. and ever. So, so tomorrow, whatever you go through, God has grace. The following day, God's got grace. And when we think about this process of discipleship, it can be intimidating Right? To, to pass on to somebody else what I've learned, God's got grace for you. He's already got grace to prepare you. So before you write it off, realize that God gives his grace. Okay, so we recognize discipleship only happens through Christ's empowerment, through grace. So what else is required for dis- discipleship? Let's get basic here. Well, secondly, listening to the word. Paul says to Timothy, what you have heard from me, verse 2, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witness entrust to faithful men. So Paul says, Timothy, you have heard truths from me. You have heard God's word from me. Take those words. If we go back to chapter 1, verse 13, he calls them sound words. Verse 13 of chapter 1. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I like this because Paul is saying to Timothy, listen to what I said. You've never seen the risen Christ as I have. Remember, Paul walked with the risen Christ. Paul saw him. Paul saw miracles, and he was an apostle. But now we come to Timothy, who is much like us, who has never seen the risen Christ, who has never walked with Christ. But Paul says to Timothy, 
Listen to what I've said. These sound words that I give you, this is what you have. So you and I, though we've never seen Christ, we have much about him in, in this book. We have sound words. The word sound means healthy. Healthy words. This is what we're given. Now, these are not dry truths. Just because we've not seen Christ with our own eyes, this is not a dry gospel. These are not dry truths. Just several weeks ago, we had several men come up here and share their testimony. If you were here, you heard them share about how God rescued them, how God saved them. So this is something we experience for real. But I I want us to notice that it is not just our experience that we pass on to somebody. Discipleship is not about me saying, here's how I feel about Jesus. How do you feel about Jesus? Our experience is important, and certainly our personal testimony is key because we can say to somebody, I've been changed, but there are sound words in here. And Paul is saying, Timothy, there are some things I want you to pass on, and it's important that you know what those are. It is the unadulterated word of God that should be guarded and transferred to others. That's what we're giving to people. Carson, Morris, and Moo, in, in a book they wrote, they say this, there is a given about the Christian faith. It is something inherited from the very beginning of God's action for our salvation, and it is to be passed on as long as this world lasts. Paul is not arguing that believers should be insensitive to currents of thought and action in the world about them, nor is he saying that the Christian is a kind of antiquarian interested in antiquity for its own sake. He is saying that there is that about the essence of the Christian faith that is not open to negotiation. God has said and done certain things, and Christians must stand by those things, whatever the cost. So at the core of discipleship is is not just a relationship, as we'll see in a moment. It's a relationship that is centered around this book and the sound words that are in here. The gospel of Jesus Christ, that is the holy grail, if you will, that we are passing on to somebody else. And we got to make sure we get that right. What are these sound words? What is Paul referring to? Well, in chapter 1, verse 8, he says it's the testimony about our Lord Jesus Christ. If you glance down, you'll see in 2 Timothy 1, verse 8, it's the testimony about our Lord Jesus Christ. Or chapter 1, verse 9, God saved us. He, He called us, notice, not because of anything that we've done, but because of God's purpose and God's grace, he saved us. That's the essence of the gospel. That's what Romans has been all about. It's not about what we've done. It's because of Jesus Christ and what God has done, because of his purpose. So you see, this is the the core, the kernel, the essence of what we're to pass on, these sound words. Chapter 1, verse 10, Jesus appeared as Savior, and he abolished death and brought life and light. Are you studying these words These sound words that we've been given. Most importantly, do you know the gospel? Do you understand what the good news is? We cannot pass it on if we don't listen to the words of God, if we do not study them, if we do not know them. Do you realize that this is a book that is jammed full of treasure? All kinds of treasure, treasure that Indiana Jones would be envious of, okay? And we can dig into God's word, we can discover more and more of the truths, and then it not only excites us, we share that with others. That's the whole purpose of discipleship. So do you know the Word of God? Do you know the gospel? I mean, that's why we, we start our Discover Bethel class with the gospel. What is it? If I were to ask you, wh- how do you define the gospel? It's good for you to know what the gospel is. Satan loves to attack the church 
through false teaching. So he attacks many ways, but one way he attacks, and Paul often writes about this, is beware of false teachers because they want to tweak the gospel. They want to take the gospel and they want to warp it. They want to change it. But see, then if that's what happens, if the gospel is tweaked, if the gospel is changed, Paul actually says in Galatians, it's no longer the gospel. But now we're passing on something that is polluted, something that is not genuine, that is not authentic. And Paul's saying protect the gospel, know the gospel, listen to the words that I've said to you, and then share those with others. So discipleship happens when we're strengthened by grace. God gives us the ability. When we listen and take in God's word, we know it. It changes us. So it's not just a head knowledge. It's changing us. And then lastly, it requires entrusting to others. So these are the basics, and then I want to get really practical with you, okay? Entrusting to others. Here's the heart of it. Not only do you receive the grace of God, not only do you know the words, but you then entrust them to others. Verse 2 includes four generations. Look at it with me. Verse two says, Paul's saying, Timothy, what you've heard from me, so we have Paul, we have Timothy, okay? He says, entrust to faithful men, third generation, who will be able to teach others also, fourth generation. Now, maybe not age-wise, right, generations, but we're talking about a multiplication that happens from Paul to Timothy to faithful men, can be translated faithful men and women, I think a footnote in some of your Bibles say, to, to faithful disciples who will then share it with others. And here it goes, just like that. Pay attention to this word entrust. What does it mean? What does entrust mean? It's the giving of something to someone for safekeeping. It actually is telling us that the gospel is a treasure saying, take this gospel, these sound words, Timothy, and entrust them. Give them to somebody to keep them safe. Now, so we do this all the time with our possessions. If, if you're on the beach like we were two weeks ago and you decided to, to leave the beach to go up to the boardwalk, that's the East Coast, I don't, you know, that kind of thing, okay, and you leave the beach, you're probably not going to leave your wallet and your cell phone and your debit card and your, uh, your, all your valuables on your beach chair. You're going to make sure somebody's there to watch it, to stay with it. But you might leave your sand toys, okay, or your boogie board, especially if it's broken in half like half of ours were at the end of the week. And you just don't, you're like, if somebody really needs a shovel that bad, that's, they can have a shovel. But your most valuable things you're not just going to leave out unless you're super trusting of people, all right? So we entrust it to somebody. We say, can you hold this for me? Can you keep this for me? Can we, you lock this up? This is the idea. And Paul's saying, Timothy, the gospel you have is precious. It is a treasure. Entrust it to others. So keep it safe. And give it to others to keep it safe. It's an inheritance. This word can actually be translated deposit. So here's a really beautiful concept. I like thinking of it this way. God has deposited in you and in me, if you're a Christian, the gospel, the Holy Spirit. These truths that are found here. He's deposited it in you. Over the years, you have heard the word of God. And it has been deposited in you again and again. For me, through vacation Bible school, through Christian school, through youth group, through Bible college, through seminary, through people that have poured into my life. I mean, time and time again, I have been deposited into. That is what God has done for us. And then he desires that we withdraw from that and deposit it in others. To take a a withdrawal and say, I've learned something about Christ. I can share that with somebody else. Now, you might have just become a Christian a week or two ago, and you don't know a lot about the Bible, but you know that God changed you. You know that Jesus died for you. 
You know some things that some other people don't know or don't believe, and you can share that. You can entrust that or deposit that into others. So I ask you, how much has God deposited in you? For some of you, it's, it's a very large reserve. God has deposited much of this word in you. And then I ask you, how much are you withdrawing to deposit in others? Are you just storing it up and storing it up? And this is convicting for us to think about if we've been a Christian for a while. How am I entrusting it to others? How am I depositing this into others? Now, this doesn't happen in a vacuum. This idea of God depositing in us. I just mentioned some of the things in my life. VBS, youth group, Bible college. People are involved. God uses people. God does not just show himself to you in the bathroom while you're shaving and there's this, and all of a sudden, you know this word. You know the Bible. It doesn't happen that way. It's not in a vacuum. God uses people. God uses parents. He uses youth group uh, leaders. He uses pastors. He uses friends, fellow employees. And he, he actually deposits in us the word through people. So with Timothy, if you read chapter 1, we see that uh, his mother and his grandmother, Lois and Eunice, I think verse Five, they were used by God. They were part of this process. So Paul, he deposits into Timothy, but before Paul even showed up, Timothy's mother and grandmother were depositing in him. And this is what, this is what we're being called to do. This is the way that the church spreads. It is the way that the kingdom is built. There is no other way. We don't just invite people to come to hear the pastor say stuff, although people were discipled this way through preaching, praise the Lord, through his word. But there's also this idea that the, the church spreads as you share with people that I will never meet, that I will never know. I was thinking about the parable of the talents, and we don't have an opportunity to turn there today or look at it in depth. But for those of you who know the parable of the talents, we often think about it with our monies and with our, our abilities and, and gifts, spiritual gifts and stuff. And I wonder if there isn't an application there for the gospel. But we've been given the gospel. What are we doing with it? How are we using it? How are we entrusting it to others? Are we? Are we at all? Now, the rest of this letter to Timothy, Paul is going to make clear, it's not just for this immediate time when you're alive, Timothy. This is to go on as long as the church goes on. And it's just like in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 19 and verse 20, and you're familiar with this probably. Jesus says to his disciples, "'Go therefore and make disciples of all nations.'" baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Some have said, well, this is Jesus' words to the disciples, not to us. Yeah, but there's a couple of things in this text that, that, that show us this must refer to the end of time, even to today when we're, we're here. First, he says all nations. The disciples were supposed to share the gospel with all nations. Did they make it to all nations? Well, we don't know for sure. We know they made it to several continents. They probably didn't make it to every single nation or every people, every person. And then even if they did, there's more nations and more people after that. So even today, there are nations that the apostles never could reach. Also, it says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is an ongoing process. We continually teach one another what God said in his word. It's not just, okay, here are three things. Go. It's teaching somebody everything that Jesus Christ said. And then I think most convincingly it says, to the end of the age. The apostles aren't alive anymore. But even to this day, before the end of the age, we are supposed to be making disciples who will make 
other disciples. So it goes Christ, the apostles, then disciples, and then disciples and disciples, so on and so forth. You've heard this before probably. Christianity is only one generation from extinction. That's true and untrue. It's true in the local sense, like a local church may shut its doors because faith has been lost and it, it dies and it shuts down. Or maybe in a family tree, there are no longer any Christians. That, that can happen. But when we talk about the, the global church, the universal church, it is not true because Satan cannot destroy the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And so Jesus Christ will build his church. He is building his church. So that's only partially true. But I bring it up because there's this idea of an unending chain, a chain that goes from one person to another person, and we do not want the chain to be broken. We want to take what we have been entrusted with and then pass it on to somebody else. Discipleship, in his essence, is about faithfulness. The chain of witnesses not being Unbroken. In our culture, faithfulness is not as prized as flashiness. You know, we love flashiness. Some of you have often thought this. Man, I just wish I could pray like that person. They just seem so spiritual. They, seem, they, they know so much about the Bible. I wish I knew as much about the Bible as they did. I mean, what can I really do? They're a super Christian. I wish I was like that person or that preacher that I hear on TV or this author or whatever. But Paul is saying to Timothy, it's not about flashiness, it's about faithfulness. It's about taking what you've been given and being faithful with what you've been given, whatever your gifts are. And we've all been given so much by Jesus Christ. We've been given salvation and we've been given the gospel. And I'm I'm wondering, how faithful are you being with that? Are you being faithful, just faithful? Discipleship is never about flashiness. It's always about faithfulness because, you see, giftedness comes and goes, And gifted people can come and go. Walter Lightfield said, God's servants are judged for their faithfulness, not for their accomplishments. So maybe you're thinking, you know, in the kingdom of God, I don't feel like I'm really that important. You know, not not as important as that person. But see, you are, because you have been entrusted with something, and God is calling you to be faithful, to just be faithful, and to take that gospel, not not to bury it in the ground, but to take that gospel and to then deposit it into others. So how does this work? Let's end with some practical pointers because you might be saying, well, Mark, I'm not a pastor, so help me think through what does it mean for me to disciple somebody else? What does discipleship look like? What does this chain look like where one person shares with another person, shares with another person? All right, so let me give you a couple pointers about for the disciple. And I'm thinking primarily here, if you've just become a Christian recently or you're, you're a baby Christian and you're saying, man, I just need to be discipled. I'd love to disciple somebody else, and maybe God can even use me now, but I need to be discipled. Okay, well, how do, you, how do you get discipled? There's not a program or something you can walk into and get discipled. You, you need to interact with people. So I would give you this suggestion. Find a small group. At Bethel, this is one of the primary ways that we use for discipleship, to build people into, to have relationships that build one another. So maybe you're not in a small group, and you say, I love coming to the services. I like Bethel. I'm not in a small group yet. Maybe I should become part of a small group. After the service, uh, Jerry and Laura Kaufman are going to be in the back, in the commons, actually outside of here in the commons, at the welcome desk. Go talk to them. Say, hey, what are small groups about? Like, how do I get connected to a small group? We have a small group's pastor. 
he would love to talk to you about it, but it might be nice to have a face like Jerry and Laura and talk to them and say, tell me about small groups. Because I'm telling you, that's one way to be in relationship with other people where you're going to be uh, input, people are going to be able to input into you and you're going to be able to encourage them. So maybe join a group. Uh, Here's a basic step. Move past the superficial. We have to open ourselves up to honest, vulnerable relationships. So you can't just go to small group or go to men's Bible study or go to women's Bible study and sit there and say some platitudes and say, oh, yeah, you know. You have to get real. You have to get real and share what you're struggling with. You have to be willing to, to, get, to get a little messy because that's how we're built as disciples. We share with one another, and that person says, oh, you know what? Let me pray for you with that. Or here's what God's word says about that. And what I've seen in, in discipleship relationships is they happen when people are honest, when people are vulnerable. And if they're not, you don't ever reach discipleship. Look at Paul's relationship with Timothy in verse 1 of chapter 2. What does he call him? He says, you then, my child, my son. There's an intimacy that Paul and Timothy have. There's been a vulnerability and honesty between the two of them. And if you know anything about Timothy's story, he had a believing mother and an unbelieving father. So Timothy really needed a spiritual father, somebody to pour into him spiritually, to invest in him. And Paul is that for him. And some of you, you have a desperate need for that. Maybe you didn't have parents that discipled you, parents that talked to you about the Lord. I want to encourage you, get involved in intergenerational relationships in our church. Get to know some some older folks who are older than you. Get to know some younger people that you can encourage. And something beautiful about that, it's like the family of God where Paul can say to Timothy, my child. That's the kind of relationship that we're talking about, a vulnerability and honesty and intimacy. We should all be willing to do that. Now, here's another practical tip. Find someone you respect and look up to. You, you want to be discipled, you don't know how that happens. Find somebody that you respect and start uh, imitating them in a good way. First uh, Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. In Philippians 3, he says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And even in my Bible reading this morning, I came across in, in the, uh, To Paul's words to the Thessalonians and Thessalonians, he says this, you became imitators of us so that you became an example to other believers. It's not wrong to imitate certain things. If you know somebody is a follower of Christ and they have a walk with God and it just seems so real, talk to them. Say, what do you do in your devotional time? Like, how do you talk to God? What do you read? Like, I just need to know... I want, to know how to, I want to know how to follow Christ. And just imitate some of those spiritual disciplines. That's a good pointer. Here's another one. Pray and ask God to lead you to a person. So, and this could be first. Start with prayer. Say, God, I want to be discipled by somebody. Would you connect me with somebody? Would you lead me to somebody? Because most of the time, it's the discipler who approaches the disciple. So pray and say, God, would you lead me to to a person who can really encourage me and build me up in the faith? And then lastly, be faithful in your walk with Jesus. Your walk with Jesus. See, you have a direct line to the creator of the universe. You have a direct line to Jesus Christ. He's actually your primary discipler. You're walking with Jesus as his disciple. So talk to him. Start to read his word. Start in the book of John or, 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 or come talk to one of us. We can point you in the right direction. Just start getting to know Jesus because he is the great discipler. And then as you walk with him, 
God will lead you to the person who can disciple you. So that's for the disciple, but how about for the discipler, which I would, I'm I'm encouraging you and I'm hopeful that each one of you who are a believer will say, God has this for me. I don't know how or when, but he wants me to disciple others. First, if you're feeling intimidated about this idea, that's okay. Because remember, the strength and wisdom comes from God. Verse 1, Paul says to Timothy, be strengthened in the grace of Jesus Christ. So if you're saying, you know, I just don't think I'm at that level yet of discipling somebody else. Or I'm not really, I mean, I got all these sins I'm trying to work through. And God needs to deliver me of all of my sins. And then I'll be able to help other people. Yes, God is in the process of doing that. And yes, God does need to do that. But no matter how long you've been a Christian, you have something that you know about Jesus that you can share with somebody else. So don't let that stop you. Don't say, well, I don't know if I can do it. God gives grace. God gives everything you need for discipleship. Secondly, walk with Jesus yourself. Here's the thing about discipling somebody else. You can't share with somebody something you don't have yourself. You have to be walking with Jesus yourself. You have to be experiencing the life-changing grace of Jesus in order to be able to say, hey, let me, let me tell you what I know about Jesus. Let me tell you what I'm learning about Jesus. The people that I have seen who I will call them serial disciplers, they just, wherever they are, they're, they're, they're inputting, they're pouring into people's lives. They're challenging, if they're a man, they're challenging men. If they're a woman, they're challenging women. Those people in every case are ones who are in the word, who are talking to the Lord, and who are walking with Jesus. Because here's what happens. They read this word, they see the treasures in here, and they just get excited, and they go, hey, can I tell you what I read this morning in my devotions? Can I I tell you what God's teaching me right now? See, what they're doing is they're discipling, and they're doing it all over the place. So just get in his word, and what will happen is it'll, it'll start to work through you, and you will share it. You will, it will spill out of you. Colossians 3.16 says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word be in here. And by the way, Paul is not writing to pastors or elders here. He's writing to the church, the people in the church. He's saying, let this word be in you in such a way that then you will teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is the beautiful beautiful process that God's called us to. And this is what excites a pastor's heart. This is what gets me really encouraged when I see other Christians encouraging one another, other Christians teaching one another, admonishing one another. Why? Because they have the word of God dwelling in them richly. So you got to get in the word. You have to be walking with Christ yourself. Thirdly, uh, join a group. If you want to disciple others and you're not in a small group, you still can do that. And I hope that you are finding relationships where you disciple one another one-on-one But one of the great ways is join a small group and you'll find people in that group who you, by your natural connection now, can start to disciple. So join a group. Uh, Another thing is form intentional relationships. Again, it's not going to happen by accident. And even going to a small group is not going to ensure discipleship. I think a lot of us have been Christian long enough to see so much stuff happening in a church, but sometimes discipleship not happening. And that's discouraging, right? A lot of activities, a lot of things we do, but people aren't growing in Christ-likeness. People aren't sharing this with others. So be intentional about your relationship. What do I mean by that? Well, find somebody and say, what has God been teaching you recently? Uh, What are you doing in your devotional time right now? Like, what are you reading in the Bible or using a devotional book or what? Share what God's teaching you. 
Ask somebody, say, uh, what are you going through right now that I can pray for? Because then you start to connect over spiritual things and you start, start to get to know one another. So have intentional relationships. Then another thing is meet together. And when I say this, I don't mean just Sundays here or even small group time, but get together intentionally outside of the normal church stuff and for the purpose of talking about the Word of God. Maybe you read through a book of the Bible together. Maybe you find a really good book that's encouraging you about the scriptures, and you say, let's read through this together. And you just meet together. That sounds really simple, right? But, I mean, Hebrews 10 says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Notice this. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Well, what does that mean? Like, how many times a week? I don't know, but I know from what, what the author of Hebrews says right here that it's more than just Sunday service, right? Because he says, meet together more, even as the day approaches, the day when Christ returns, meet more and more together. So man, we have to be finding times to connect with believers and say, let's, let's grab coffee, let's just talk about what's going on. Let's, talk, let's read through a book together. Let's talk about the word of God together. See, this is, this is as simple as discipleship can be, And yet we realize it's not easy. And that brings me to this next practical point, share in life. Share in life. Verse 3, you'll see in verse 3, he says, share in suffering. And Paul's saying, Timothy, will you share in my suffering? Will you come alongside and will you share with me? Because Paul's suffering. Paul's about ready to be killed for his faith. So he's asking Timothy to share with him. And then, of course, we share in suffering with others that we are discipling. Because discipleship is relational, it is messy. When you walk along with somebody else through the, through, through the peaks and through the valleys, through their greatest joys and their sorrows, it, it's messy. It looks like me on vacation being in a hospital, hospital room of a, of a man who is a very dear friend of mine, an elder that I served with and a youth worker who, who basically died and then was revived and is recovering from a very massive heart attack. And just being there in that hospital room in, the, in the, the, a low point, one of the lowest points probably of his life. But we've been bonded together. We have, you know, I've poured into him and he's poured into me. And now we go through a, a trial like that. It means knowing somebody, knowing what is their biggest struggle, what is their greatest joy. So just to share in life. And unfortunately, we're we're less relational than we probably have ever been as a society because we're so busy, we're we're more transient, we don't stay in one place for a long time, our families don't live in the same community like that, and so we have to really work at this. Another practical thing, point to Jesus. Remember, as a discipler, it's not about you. We're pointing to Jesus. We're just saying, hey, come with me to know this Jesus. So point to Jesus. Don't make it about you. Let me tell you all the things that I've learned, you know. I got this down. No, it's about pointing to Jesus. Lastly here, um, maybe God is calling you. You're in a small group. Maybe God's saying, I want you to step out and lead a small group. What a great way to disciple others, to be a small group leader and say, you know, I'm nervous about it. I really don't know if I can do it. Talk, talk to me. Talk to, uh, talk to Jerry and Laura. Talk to Pastor Chris and say, I've been praying about this. I don't think I'm... I don't know if I can do it, but I, I sense God wants me to. And of course, you have to be at a certain level of spiritual maturity, but there's a lot of people who could do it who are nervous about it. Remember, God gives grace. God wants you to lead others. One of the main takeaways here this morning is that discipleship is highly relational. It's highly relational. 
I wish we could get this down. I mean, Jesus with his disciples, is he not highly relational? He's, he's got 12 guys who he's living with and he's walking about with and, and they're going through everything together. That's discipleship. Now, it's not, we don't have quite that luxury of walking around with people and, and living with them and all that stuff, but we need to be relational. It's not just about, hey, here's this book, read it. That can be a great lead-in. We share life. We get to know one another, the joys, the sorrows. And along the way, we are accomplishing the mission. I want you to, 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 to get this, that it, discipleship is less about getting you plugged into a particular ministry, and it's more about getting you plugged into relationships where you can grow in Christ. I, I'm saying that carefully because there are, there's work of the ministry that we need to do and want to do here. A great example would be VBS, okay? There's a lot of logistics that have to happen for VBS to be pulled off, and it ha- just happened, and it was a, a wonderful week. All of that stuff has to happen, but it's more about the relationships between the leaders and the kids, about the kids and the Lord. It's about discipleship. Um, whether or not you find a specific niche to serve in at, at Bethel Church, you can be a part of discipleship. This is the main ministry of the church, taking what we've been entrusted and passing it on to protect and pass the gospel. This is the adventure. So I'm asking you, are, are you willing to engage in that? Are you willing to to say, I'm going to step out. I'm going to try to disciple somebody else. I want to warn you, though, it is a dangerous adventure. It's a dangerous adventure because I believe, I really believe that Satan hates discipleship more than anything else in the world. Why do I say that? Well, discipleship is God's main uh, activity in the world today. That's what God is doing. Jesus is building his church and people are being discipled. So Satan hates it. When Satan sees somebody trust in Christ to be baptized, he hates it. When he sees them start to grow in grace, like our our text here, and be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus, he hates it. When he sees them know these words, these sound words, and study them, and get excited about the word, and then when they pass it on to somebody else, Satan hates it. I mean, can you imagine Satan just shrieking as he sees the web of discipleship strengthened and just kind of go out. To Satan, it's like a bad virus, you know? It's like, oh, no, another person. Oh, they're growing deeper in their faith. They're sharing with that person. <laughs> they're, they're having a barbecue with their neighbor and they're talking about the Lord. See, Satan hates this stuff. He hates it because Satan hates multiplication. I don't know that he cares much about math in general, but he hates multiplication because multiplication means more disciples of Jesus Christ. You know what Satan wants, right? He wants subtraction. Satan would love for for, for believers to fall away and no longer be believers, but he can't have that. Satan can't get subtraction because the word of God says we are secure in Christ if we are a child of God. In fact, 2 Timothy 1, just a chapter before this, verse 12, last part of the verse, Paul says, I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. God is guarding what he has entrusted to us. He's guarding the gospel. He's guarding the Holy Spirit in us. Satan doesn't get subtraction. So he settles for the next best thing, which is static, just status quo. If believers will just exist and not pass on to somebody else, he'll be happy with that. And we cannot let that happen. We need to persevere. Just as Paul is saying to Timothy, my child, take what I've given you, these sound words, and pass them on. Paul's saying that to us too. He's saying, my child, you have received these sound words. What are you going to do with them? 
This great deposit that is within you, what, what are you going to do? Are you going to ever withdraw and share with somebody else? And that's what God is challenging us to do right now. And if we will do that, we will reap eternal rewards. Chapter 2, verse 5, like an athlete, we will receive the trophy. One day we're going to stand before God and we're going to look into the face of Jesus Christ and we're going to be rewarded for following after him and making disciples. Chapter 2, verse 6, like the farmer who enjoys the harvest after all of that hard work, I'm convinced that when we get to heaven one day, we're going to realize just how important discipleship was. And we're going to say, man, I spent so much energy on fill in the blank. I spent so much energy on my career, my house, my family, all this stuff. I wish I would have shared the gospel more. I wish I would have invested in other people. I wish I would have made disciples. See, that's what, that's what God has us here for. And he's doing it. He is gaining the victory. And just that little video of the baptism is proof right there. God is building his church. How does he want to use you?